It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to episode 81 of the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. Nick Bracha, Stan Dryav. 81, Nikolai. It's a big accomplishment. Speaking of big accomplishments, Nick, another win for you. It was another one by a tiebreaker. You know, you and I both know it was rigged, Nick. My TV lost power during that Chaos williams Razaka Hassan fight. I wasn't even able to see the fight play out live. <laughs> I don't know for a fact that you didn't defraud this podcast by posting a Fugazi video of Williams finishing Hassan on the ESPN Plus app. I'm getting my legal team in order to pursue this case in the state of Nevada. From what I hear, Al-Hassan's management is actually interested in joining the case and turning that fight into a no contest. If we count all the legal wins and don't count any of your wins, then I win by a landslide, and you know it, Nick. So, yeah, I'm 13, 16, and 6, and I'm creeping up on you, and none of your like little Trumpy legal uh jibber jabber is gonna hold any water man i know that you were talking about partnering up with uh abdul razak al hassan's attorneys and we know he has good ones um <laughs> so you know it was it was an interesting card i guess i don't know this i'm, I'm i haven't been thrilled i wasn't thrilled with this card and i'm not thrilled with the one coming this week i really think that we're hitting that that period where they're the ufc is just kind of running a few too many events and we're getting like hyper frequency with some fighters, and I don't know that, that that's great. You know, it's a, it's been a weird it's been a weird year. But I'll take I'll take the victory. And again, I just want to point out that the one fight that I picked wrong, uh, K, I picked K Hansen over Corey McKenna. Vast majority of internet pundits thought that K Hansen deserved that fight, whereas the fights that you picked wrong resulted in men getting separated from their consciousness. Just want to call that out. Wait a minute. I only picked. I only picked one wrong. You picked two wrong. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Did you not pick? Uh, who'd you pick in the Sean Strickland Brendan Allen fight, Nicolas? That was your pick. Yeah, it was your pick. You yeah. Yeah, but who did you pick in that fight? Oh, um, I don't think I did make a pick. I can't remember. I only focus on oh, the ones that are like. Oh, we're doing that now. Choices. So well, I was three Nick's out, for the I, record. For the record, if you go back and listen to last week's episode, Nick. Why would I do that? It's in the past. I live in the future. <laughs> Not the present. I live in the future. <laughs> My picks went four and two, and yours went two and one, with three of your bouts getting canceled, Nick. Yet somehow you still walked away with a tiebreaker win in this one. All I'm saying is. I can play the game, dude. You're right. All I'm saying is that the age of COVID has been very kind to you and your standing when it comes to our picks and draft competition. I'd compare you to like a Benson Henderson back when he was able to hold the lightweight title for years due to some bad judges' decisions, but you've never been champ and you've still got a losing record. I'm a virus. COVID's a virus. It hooks me up. Helps me out. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about, I, I let's, let's talk about this, this sort of iffy card here. Uh, yeah, I, I thought the last week's card actually looked, you know, medium on paper. I thought it performed pretty well overall. Uh, Rafael Dos Anjos versus Paul Felder turned out to be an entertaining, although largely, you know, clear-cut decision for Rafael Dos Anjos. A very controversial, you know, single scorecard given to Paul Felder, three to two. I what? have yeah, no that, idea. I, that's one of the. That might be the weirdest card I've ever heard. Yeah, I think that that judge needs to be looked at very seriously. I've heard that he has been the dissenting judge in seven 
of of 10 of his split decisions. So, you know, it sounds like there might be some issues. I'd like to look at those fights and, and figure out, like, look, if you did a shit job on this one fight, it's not all right because it's a main event and you weren't even close to being correct on it, right? And also, by the way, John Anik spoke about how he is somewhat friendly with that judge in particular. I think his name is Chris Lee. I could be wrong. And that makes me wonder, is that judge friendly with all of the UFC announcers? And maybe he felt some kind of a thing toward Paul Felder that would kind of explain him giving him this decision. Does he have a history of putting his thumb on the scale during Felder's fights or being a dissenting judge during uh, on the wrong end of obvious decisions in general? Well, it's it's not necessarily the wrong end. I just heard the, the following stat that he has been the dissenting judge in the last seven of his 10 split decisions. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's been wrong Wait, all who, of those times, but of, it's not a good sign. The dissenting judge of whose split decisions? The last 10 split decisions that he's been involved in, then he's, he's been it, the dissenting okay. judge. Got it. Not specific to Felder. Yeah. Okay. No, yeah. definitely not. Um, yeah, and, and it, that was, I mean, it was very odd. But more importantly in the fight, I thought that Rafael Dos Anjos did, I think, what you and I expected given this it matchup. Went, and it, I, yeah, it went exactly the way that we predicted it would. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it really did. You and I both expected that he should be able to get takedowns on Felder. I talked about how Felder's given up a bunch of takedowns in his last few fights. And Dos Anjos, despite the fact that he was beaten by a couple of much larger, uh, better wrestlers at 170, he's still a really good grappler himself. He's one of the few men that has a takedown on Kobe Covington in Covington's UFC career. And he put that to good use. I also talked about how Rafael Dos Anjos will have the speed advantage. And here's the thing. In his last two fights, Paul Felder, who's really been focusing on his conditioning, on anaerobic training. His speed has come up quite a bit. I think part of it maybe is that he's less stiff, but also the fact that he's focusing more on uh, on that kind of slow twist muscle fiber uh, training where, you know, you could still have speed with slow twist muscle fibers. You just won't necessarily have as much explosiveness. And Paul Felder looked, you know, a little bit, a little bit quicker on the feet than usual. But outside of that, I thought that Rafael Los Angeles did really well. I thought that Rafael probably landed the bigger punches standing up as well. He just had this kind of safety zone that he was able to go to anytime he needed to. And he took Paul Felder down and was able to kind of suffocate him from there. What were your thoughts, buddy? Yeah. I, thought, I mean, listen, everyone's talking about what a hero and legend Felder is. He's a very likable guy. I like him on the stick. I like him as a guy. I like him on social media. There's not a whole heck of a lot to not like about Paul Felder and the way that he conducts his business. Um, I thought that his, his combos looked really, really crisp. I do agree that Anjos, Dos Anjos uh, had more mustard on his shots, but Felder landed some three and four shot combos that were, that were quite pretty. And I, could, I think you could make an argument that there might have been a round or two where he outboxed Rafael Dos Anjos overall. But the fact of the matter yeah. is the, the grappling ran the fight and Felder Felder should really stop throwing spinning shit. When he first, when he first <laughs> came up, it was a little, it was a little bit cooler. I feel like you can, unlike the spinning techniques of Brian Ortega, of Yair Rodriguez, um, where like kind of John Jones, where no one kind of sees it coming. I feel like everyone sees Felder spinning shit coming. Like maybe I'm wrong. doesn't seem like he lands it. I just, uh, I don't really know what the move is for him to become a more, you know, if he's hit his ceiling or how he moves up the ranks at that weight class. Yes, he can scrap with he can scrap with anybody, but those a he's really at a disadvantage against um, a level grapplers at 155. Also, let's just think about how good. Not that none of not that anyone listening is questioning 
the, the grappling acumen of one Khabib Nurmagomedov, but <laughs> Khabib made Rafael dos Anjos look like a like a grappling dummy for, for 15 minutes, like so you know five years ago or whenever it was, and. Dosan is a very, very good grappler and jiu-jitsu player. Um, so just a reminder of just how, how far and above everyone Nurmagomedov is. I mean, yeah, to your point, this was six years ago, granted, so it's not the current form of Rafael Dos Anjos, but um, he was on a five-fight winning streak leading up to that Khabib fight, and then he ended up putting together another five-fight winning streak right after that Khabib fight. So there's little yeah, reason to believe that run. he wasn't in a good place. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's what kind of led into his title win uh, over Anthony Pettis and then his one successful defense in the, against Donald Cerrone. I actually thought that he was a little bit of a longer reigning champion, but looking at his record now, that's actually interesting to know. Yeah, uh, look, Dos Anjos is still like if he is not the in that like one one to three range he's in that four to six range at uh at uh lightweight yeah. in my opinion and he has a decent chance of beating a couple of those kind of very top contenders uh do you have anyone in mind for him next nick hmm i mean there's so many there's so many guys in play uh he hasn't fought dan hooker yet has he he has not fought Dan Hooker, but Dan Hooker is coming off of... Oh, no, he is coming off of a win. So, yeah, there's a chance that could work. Wait, isn't Hooker coming off a loss? Uh, yes, Hooker lost to Poirier. But that's right, that's, that's right. Deal. I, still, I still think that's a fight you make. Yeah, I, I don't know if I would pair him with, although it would be an exciting fight, um, I don't know if I'd pair him with Hooker. Or, you know what, I don't know if I was Desanios if I would take that fight against Hooker because I think Desanios has a decent argument to make for being number one contender, even though he's only got that one fight winning streak at the moment. And he made that argument after the fight when he spoke about how there are only two former champions in the lightweight division if Khabib Nurmagomedov is officially retired, and that is Conor McGregor and Rafael Dos Anjos. And those two guys fighting for a title, like I don't know how many people would truly complain about that. I guess there's an argument to be made about McGregor not having competed at 155 pounds in eh. a while. But that would probably, like that know. could very well upend everybody else and take that spotlight as long as McGregor is willing to take that so. fight. I, I disagree. I don't think from a, from a UFC, from an endeavor, from a data white point of view, Rafael dos Anjos does not sell tickets, does not put asses in seats. So when you've got a Justin Gagey, a Dustin Poirier, a Tony Ferguson, uh, a, I think I do believe Den Hooker is more popular than Rafael dos Anjos, and you've got a surging Charles Oliveira. I think all of those fighters are more popular um, than Rafael, Rafael dos Anjos, who's been around forever. His fights aren't always exciting, no matter, you know, despite the fact that he's really talented. And he's got 13 L's on his record. I I disagree. I think that, uh, I, I I don't think Connor takes that fight in a million years. The guy, the Gagey, Poye, Ferguson, those are all mo those are all big money fights for Connor. Rafael Dos Anjos, like the promotion, like Connor doesn't, doesn't know how to promote against that guy, but he did previously, you know, and it fell apart leading to the Nate Diaz fight. Um, you know, there wasn't, it was just kind of like, oh, an opponent for Connor. Like, it didn't, even though Dos Anjos was the guy with the strap at the time, right? Like, it, it, uh, I can't remember if that's true or not. I just don't think, I don't think Dos, Dos Anjos is, is, I just don't, is he, 
Uh, is he a top-level MMA lightweight? Yes. Is he a star? No, he's not. Conor McGregor fights stars. Uh, Conor McGregor fights whichever opponent he thinks he could run over or whichever opponent holds the biggest prize for him. And, and you know, he makes he's stars, I think, more than... popular fighters. He's fought Khabib when Khabib was popular among MMA fans, but he made Khabib into a superstar, right? It was facing Conor McGregor that that changed, you know, Khabib's career, essentially. Uh, or I should say, in a major way, changed his bank account, changed his star power. He, like, gained tens of millions of followers after that night uh, against Conor McGregor. McGregor doesn't always fight established stars. He did fight Cowboy, of course, who was a name. But RDA is a well-known guy. He might not be, like, everyone's favorite fighter, but he is, I think, better known. And I don't think you're giving him enough credit about being better known than Oliveira and Dan Hooker. Like, Hooker is exciting, and he's fun to watch. But do you, like, RDA was champion several years ago. Like, everybody had an idea of who he was. RDA was scheduled against Conor McGregor, which is a big boost to his name. But anyway, that's not the point. My point was just that RDA has a good argument to make for potentially uh, getting that number one contender shot against Connor and Connor for the record on Twitter did accept uh, that challenge. Uh, obviously, you know, if he can score that win over Dustin Poirier for a second time, but yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't complain about him versus hooker. I would like to see him versus Poirier, depending on how that McGregor matchup plays out. I think Justin Gaethje would be a great fight uh, given kind of where Gaethje's coming from and, and the situation that RDA is currently in. So I think there's a lot of great possibilities. The division is very different now than it was when the- RDA last fought in the lightweight division. So I, I think this would be some fascinating matchups. Yeah, including Oliveira. I think RDA could be a great kind of uh, a gatekeeper to the stars for some of those guys in the bottom half of that top 15. I could see Diego Ferreira, uh, possibly Benil Daryush if he's ready for it. And... I do want to quickly say this. Islam Makachev is ranked at number 13 at the moment with RDA kind of going above everyone else and, and taking that number six spot. Um, Islam Makachev versus RDA would have been extremely boring. And instead, we got a pretty exciting fight on Saturday night. So I think that's something we have to be thankful for. Um, in that co-main event, Nick, Chaos Williams for a second time in a second UFC bout starches his opponent, who's a favorite, in the first seconds of the fight, he Nick has competed in the UFC twice, and he's competed less than sixty seconds in total, uh, with two clean knockouts over you know guys that are fairly well known and respected in the UFC. Just starched Al Hassan in the first round as a counter to Al Hassan's kick. Uh, the thing is that Chaos Williams is not very technical, um, but when you have his power and that level of confidence, man, it's tough to argue. He could very well end up being kind of the Francis Ngannou of this division, and uh, we could see how far he can get with mostly just you know solid, solid power. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the question is, do you throw? You know, we don't know yet if he's the next Houston Alexander or the next Francis Ngannou. There's a lot of space in between that as well. Yep. He, yep. he needs, you know, right now he needs a top, um, you know, he needs a top 30 guy to, so we can really see what we're dealing with here. Does he get, you know, does he get Condit? Does he get Zaleski? Those are good, you know, good opponents. Jake Matthews. Um, I think Muslim uh, Salikov's booked. Uh, I'd like him against somebody crafty like James Krause. That would be really interesting to me. Um, you know, someone who can take a shot like Nico Price. Like, he's, we got to put him in, or, oh, Jesus, Albert Tumanov. 
Like we got to put him in with one of these cats and see what and, and see what happens. Tony Martin's not a bad isn't a bad draw either. Um, but he, he needs that next level of competition. Uh, I think he's one fight away from a top fifteen fight. But we still don't know. He still could be Houston Alexander, who we who we watched you know destroy. Um, who did he beat? He beat Keith Jardine and who and oh, Alessio Sakara. That's right. So and then Houston Alexander, you know, once they we quickly found out um, that Tiago Silva found out that you you put him you know you put him on his back and he, he's like a turtle. He gets to flip upside down, and that's that. So I don't think that's going to be the case with Chaos Williams. But let's see what we got here. Like I'm I'm excited and that was I mean the thing about that right hand was it was like. The result of it was highlight reel because he stiffed uh, Razaka Hazan like straight, straight out, like pointy toes, everything like Dan Henderson H bomb style. But the punch itself was just like a perfectly timed straight right that, that hit the button. It wasn't like uh, you know, it wasn't like it wasn't like one of those shots that looked like a kill shot, at least to me. Precision wise, yes. Timing wise, yes, but it, it wasn't like you know, like just an insane, insane tomahawk shot, a la you know, Nganu and other big hitters. What do what do you have to say about his technique in that shot? I thought the technique on that particular punch was perfect. He countered yeah. that leg kick. That's exactly how you're supposed to do it. I I actually think his shot looked about as hard as it kind of resulted in a knockout that it, in the way that it did. Um, Ngannou often doesn't look like he lands clean or hard, but man, he just kind of t- breezes his glove by your head and guys drop. Um, this one was clean right on the jaw and made Razak Al-Hassan's head kind of snap back. And he was out from what I understand, by the way, Nick, he was out for like almost 10 minutes. Like he was wow. out on this shot. We're talking about like serious, insane power. I don't think we've seen Francis Ngannou shut somebody's lights off for that long. Um, with Francis, actually, it's not it's not frequent that the guy just goes completely out. It's often that the guy just gets overwhelmed and doesn't want another piece of that. With that one, sh- you know, that one initial shot kind of drops him, and he kind of just like waits for the referee to stop it. But this guy just shuts guys the hell off, man. So yeah, definitely some special power in this guy. The, he he kind of put on this very obviously cheap suit after the uh, after the event, and like you know was ready for like his star moment. And I like the confidence that that he he's kind of. Uh, that he's kind of got to have in order to be in that position, right? To to bring that fancy suit in your co-main event spotlight in the UFC against a serious knockout artist who's a big favorite over you. Um, I'm into Chaos Williams. I'm looking forward to seeing more. Yeah. And earlier in Me his too. career, Nick, the reason that I have not been confident in him is that he's shown really mediocre technique and like taking people down and just like riding them for decisions mostly and pretty mediocre opposition on the way. And that's what I've seen of his kind of uh, – of his – pre-UFC career that's why I wasn't very confident in him but that man has insane power I can't believe he ever took anybody down uh, if given the choice then we had Sean Strickland who basically dominated Brendan Allen was able to counter him at range uh, lit him up and Brendan Allen I expected that it was going to be his pressure that would beat Strickland and Strickland his two UFC losses were to Kumar Usman and uh, Elizabeth Zaleski Dos Santos. Uh, I'm sorry, Kumar Usman and Santiago Panzanibio, uh, who pressured him, were able to get takedowns against him. And that's what I thought Brendan Allen was going to be able to do. Um, and Brendan Allen's pressure game is missing one extremely important thing. He doesn't throw fakes or feints, right? He's not confusing his opponent. If Brendan Allen is 
like is, if he's currently moving, then he is coming at you with strikes. So you know when they're coming. And Sean Strickland, who's grown a significant amount since those two losses that I just mentioned, he was able to slip out of the way, cut angles, and make sure that Brendan Allen hits air as he kind of just tagged him, kept tagging him with that jab, kept getting him with that cross. Really, really impressive performance by Sean Strickland, who was now looking like the blue chip prospect that he looked like when he first uh, entered the UFC. Yeah, he's a problem. He's a problem at 185 for people. I think he's gonna. Uh, I think he's gonna find himself in the top ten fight uh, really quickly. He's got great confidence. Um, he's really. He's just really good with his footwork and smart about his cage position. And he finds himself in advantageous angles and just. And he's got pop. And he just like. He was just one step ahead. Every I think every aspect of that of that bout and Allen could not. You know I think he just had too much pop for Allen to handle. I don't think Allen was ready for his power either. Yeah, I'm definitely there with you. Uh, I think for a matchup for him next, for Sean Strickland, I would love to, I'd be open to seeing Derek Brunson, Calvin Gastelum. I think that uh, Edmund Shabazian is coming Gastelum off the loss, so that's not booked. best case. Gastelum Did he? Who's he fighting? Against him. Uh, I'll tell you in a second. Hang on. Uh, Marvin Vittori could be an interesting matchup for him as well. Possibly Ian Heinich if he wants more of a slow that's roll. Who, that's who Gastelum is fighting next. Okay, that makes sense to me. I'm into uh, that. Jan- Marvin January Vittori, 30th. if he's not booked. Uh, that, that's a that's a decent match. Vittori's booked against Jacare in a couple of weeks. Oh, that's good to know. I don't know if that was on my yeah, radar at all. Fight, Great. The fights in play right now are Weidman Hall, uh, Hermanson, Holland, Heinish, Gastelum, Jacare, Vittori. All right. Antonio Carlos Jr. against Brad Tavares, the one everyone's been waiting for. Uh, and then Kazmat <laughs> Shamayev against uh, Leon Edwards. Kazmat, goddammit. Get his name right, Nikolai. Kazmat, what did I say? Khazmat, like hazmat suit. Khamzat, sorry. Yeah, Khamzat um, yeah, Chimaev. So, so wait, we're, who are we looking for a fight for? We're looking for a fight for Sean Strickland? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, man. Oh, man, I don't know if you want to do this to the kid, but I'd love to see him fight Shabazian, but uh, Shabazian's probably going to get a uh, an easier fight. Um, yeah, I think it depends if the UFC is looking still, at Shabazian Str- as kind of a star still or somebody that, that just showed his colors and he's really like doesn't have that kind of potential. Um, that's probably what's going to decide who they match him up next with. But I feel like Edmund is coming off of a, an embarrassing loss and Strickland is riding pretty high. I feel like it's kind of all risk and no reward for Strickland in that one. So I would take the fight yeah, if I, I was him, Amar- but I'm open to it. Amari Akhmadov is, I mean, Brunson's, you know, Brunson's a big step up. If Brunson's not busy right now, let's let's get him together. These Brunson's are both super right experienced now, but that's guys. That's a big jump in the rankings. But listen, I'd rather see him fight Brunson than than watch him have to deal with Amari Akhmedov. That's agreed. That would be yeah. a snoozer. Plus, Amari is also coming want? off of a loss. Yeah. Wait, you want to what? Is no, he is in fact coming off a loss. All right. Um, we, so skipped, just real you know, quick. You, no, you shut 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 up. You skipped over Ashley Yoder versus Miranda Granger. You didn't want to talk about the first, the first two rounds of playing Twister. <laughs> no, that that definitely wasn't the third most important fight on the list, in my opinion. But Yoder got, Yoder got a workmanlike decision. And if people listened to the podcast last week, you picked Granger and I picked Yoder. Naturally, that one went the way that it should I, have. But but in the picks, I ended up picking Yoder because 
that 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 call went back to me, and I did more research, and I decided to go with Yoder. So that's one of the. Reasons I wouldn't call why it more I, research. I, I would I would call it more like. Uh, I, I would call it more like just listening to my analysis and realizing that I'm accurate in my analysis and kind of going with my pick. But, you know, whatever not, way you want to put it. That's not at all what happened. Not at all. What not happened. at all. No, not Anyways, at all. We don't have to talk about the rest <laughs> of the fights in this card. So, uh, um, I, I, do, I do think a quick mention. Uh, yeah. yeah, a quick mention of uh, Murata's win over Randa Marcos. She's a serious wrestler at 115. And uh, Tat- Tatiana Suarez is the only other wrestler in that division who's kind of uh, really making a stand and is really top, top level when it comes to wrestling. So if that got Tatiana Suarez as far as it has, I'm curious what like the tiny little version of Suarez can do in the division. That was a really dominant win over Marcos, who usually fights pretty close with opponents. And Marcos is, by the way, now on a three-fight losing streak. I, I would imagine that unless they need her to fill in sometime soon, she's probably out of a job. Uh, Corey McKenna picked up a controversial decision over Kay Hansen. Um, you know, the argument could be made. I mean, it's a lot of this is about, I think, damage versus control and submission attempts. And Corey McKenna probably landed some more damage. And Kay Hansen probably had, you know, slightly better positions at times. And, you know, it went to McKenna. Like, you know, it, it could have gone either way. I don't think it was a robbery, but it was a close decision. And it is somewhat disputed. Tony Gravely uh, did his thing against Geraldo DeFratis. I figured this was going to be super close, and it was a split decision. It was pretty competitive. Tony Gravely really only had the edge with his wrestling, and he was able to do uh, to get enough takedowns to actually score on the judges' scorecards. Morono, you know, roughed up Reese McKee, was able to get takedowns, and Dontel Mays, like you said, was able to rough up Roque Martinez, who never pressured like he needed to in order to win the fight. What were your thoughts on those, buddy? You mean Roque Martinez? <laughs> Roque? So, Rogue, remember? You said that's Rogue. right, Ro- Rokey Martinez. Yeah, you, you, you and I, you and I both had the his name wrong. <laughs> that bet, that was a bet that was neutralized. Yeah, I don't have shit to say yeah. about the rest of these fights. Let's let's move on. <laughs> Fair enough. Let us take a break. We're gonna come back and we are going to break down this weekend's. I would say fairly decent card considering we have two oh. title fights at oh. the top as Figueredo oh, faces off. Blah. They're shitty title fights. The pre, the prelim, I have, I would actually pay, I would, I'm more likely to pay sixty five bucks for um the prelims, which I think are terrific versus this main card. But go on. I don't know what you have against Alex Perez versus Davison Figueroa, but these are both like really really good fighters, and I'm very excited about that fight for the record. Okay, I think maybe I'm wrong. I think Figueroa is gonna gonna plant them very quickly. But maybe that maybe that's maybe I'm just setting you up and making you think that's going to be an early pick for me in our draft that I'm surging ahead. Nick, I doubt it. You're not that crafty. Surging Let's take a break. Ahead. <laughs> Let's take a break. Come back and break down the card for these guys. Surging. No surging. <laughs> Back on the MMA Geeks podcast, and we're going to break down UFC 255, Figueredo versus Perez, co-headlined by Valentina Shevchenko versus Jennifer Maya. 
Not exactly one to look forward to, that co-main event, but I am looking forward to the main event, Nick. I want to quickly remind our listeners, if you have the opportunity, do leave us a review, preferably on iTunes, but any platform that you listen on would be awesome. Like I said, there are hundreds of you guys out there that seem to be enjoying our show consistently, and there are like a little more than a dozen reviews. Post them up there, let people know that you like it, and uh, maybe recommend us. If you know anybody that's into mixed martial arts, let them know about the docile tones of Nick Braccia. I think it'll be hard to resist once they hear the details. Nikolai, you won last week once again by a tiebreaker. We're going to break down this week's card. The way it works is that we each take turns drafting fighters that are competing on the upcoming card. Whichever of us ends up with more winning fighters on our team at the end of Saturday night ends up taking the week. I'm currently up 16 to Nick's 13. He's quickly catching up. We're coming to the end of the season, and he's going to need at least four wins in a row to to overtake me. Nikolai, you ready for this? Yeah, man. I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna beat you. They're gonna beat you back. I like the confidence, Nick. I, I guess we should put a dinner on it or something, right? Say. So far, I'm two dinners up. Um, I think you should do. Yes, I know you're really proud of those draws. They're like wins for you, life, and I don't blame you. Life swap for a year. Life swap for a year. So <laughs> I, I go to your home. You go to mine. I feel like my, our our significant others and our daughters oh, yeah. might even, not be super into that. That. <laughs> that. That would really. <laughs> but I would be happy I was to be. Like, in... I was like, I'd be taller. I was like... <laughs> <laughs> you 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 would be you you would be taller, and you'd become a better martial artist and a better uh, kind of fight analyst. But Nick, a better a better you... fight analyst, a better human. No, no, definitely not a better human. You're, you're, you're a really good dude, and you're very handsome. But Nick, you wouldn't be a successful writer. You wouldn't be, you know, a well-respected marketing executive, Nikolai. There's, there's a give or take to all of it. What respected and marketing executive or not? That's an oxymoron. Uh, Okay, then, then, then I'll I'll put it to you. I'll, I'll put it to you this way, Nick. In yeah, that case, the confidence yes. change would be the biggest shift. You, oh. Oh, yeah. as me, would be much more confident, and I, as you, would be much more insecure than I deserve to be. How about that? All right. I'm just looking at these pictures of uh, Ariane Lipsky and, and Tanina Shevchenko, so I'm not even listening to you. Um, well, you know what, Nikolai? Maybe if we switch <laughs> lives, uh, you can talk to these two ladies with confidence. What do you think? <laughs> uh, I don't I don't speak um, – Russian or Portuguese. That's right, Nick. I had that in my holster the entire time. It took 81 episodes for me to bust out that Russian. Let's get our... I'm I'm impressed. Okay. Let's get our picks. All right. Who's got first pick this week? Um, Let's... let, Let me quickly look at last week's notes, Nikolai. Let's see. My first pick was Abdul Razak Al Hassan. Your first pick was Kay Hansen. Oh, that's tough. I don't know. Both of them were losing picks, by the way. Good job on us. <laughs> um, I'm not sure which one of us it was, Nikolai. But uh, you know what, Nick? Why don't you take this one? This thought, is a gimme, it was, right? Think, it's yours, no, I buddy. I think it was you. I do think it, I think you made the first pick. Was it me last week? Go for it, buddy. You make the first I pick. I think I would have taken her first. All right. Um, I mean staring me right there in the face i'm not gonna not take the minus 1375 minus <laughs> six minus as high as minus 1700 favorite minus 1800 actually favorite um valentina shevchenko over jennifer maya 
Like, yes, Stranger Things have happened, but if this is just such an opponent's fight, even again, even when you had like Amanda, Amanda Nunes against uh, Durandamy, she she you knew that she still had like tremendous power in her kick. Jennifer Maya is kind of a, a grinder fighter. She's good. She's good everywhere, and she's strong. But Shevchenko's fought and defeated, and often made it look easy. Look easy against people who are better strikers and better grapplers than Jennifer Maya. So I just don't know what the path is, except a straight up fluke. I don't know. She's gonna out. She's going to outbox her and light her up there. She's faster. That's for that's for darn sure. And I don't. And if Shevchenko wasn't physically bullied by Amanda Nunes, you think Jennifer Maya is gonna gonna toss her around? I don't think so. So, I mean, it's possible. I guess I just don't see any path to victory. I can't. I cannot. I something really weird would have to happen. Yeah, I'm largely there with you. Um, except that I disagree on the pick, Nikolai. Shut up. Of course, I agree on the pick, Nikolai. Look, Valentina might be the most technical fighter in the sport. She's definitely the most technical 125-pound fighter in the sport. But it's hard to tell because most of her opponents nowadays have no business fighting for a UFC title. She's defending her. She defended her belt against Caitlin Chukagian in her last fight, who was on only a two-fight winning streak at the time. And I think both of them were like super close decisions, right? She defended against Liz Carmouche before that, who was also on only a two-fight winning streak. She defended against Jessica I, who was 3-4 and a four in her prior seven fights at the time. She won the belt against Joanna Janjacek, who was 1-2 and two in her prior three, although that was obviously a That's worthy a challenger mean, for the belt. Yes. Um, going into her fourth title defense, she's fighting Jennifer Maya, who's on a whopping one-fight winning streak, and that's only because she beat Joanne Calderwood, who was also slated to challenge for the belt on a one-fight winning streak. I'm excited at the prospect of Valentina defending her title against Jessica Andrade, who may not have a big streak, but is a worthy title challenger, obviously. Uh, Valentina has high-level striking, which is purely based on counters that she's extremely risk-averse and has very low output. Well, you know, relatively low output. Her clinch takedowns are solid, and she's also adept at catching kicks into takedowns as she did against Shukagian. Her submission game is high-level as well, from her back and from on top. Valentina needs an aggressive opponent to look good, though, or she might just throw 10 strikes around against an intimidated opponent. Maya is kind of a solid soup to nuts kickboxer. Her submission game has been looking good lately as she submitted Joanne Calderwood off her back in her last bout. She likes to pressure on and off with decent boxing backed up by pretty good kicks. She kind of mixes in combos with both. She has pretty good takedown defense, but Calderwood was able to take her down and Calderwood isn't exactly known for her high level wrestling. She lands four strikes per minute, which is higher in output than the champion, but she is hittable herself and she basically gets hit about as much as she lands. I think the entertainment value in this fight all depends on Maya. If she's aggressive, she will probably get finished since Valentina is an expert at countering aggression. But if Maya's cautious, then this is going to be another boring staring contest as we watch Valentina waste her talent because she fears losing, even against much less talented opposition. I'll be hoping for an aggressive Maya because hoping for an aggressive Valentina Shevchenko is futile. Uh, good news is, is that the main event will most certainly be fun to watch. So if this is boring, we'll have something to look forward to still. My first pick is going to be Joaquin Buckley to beat Jordan, the Beverly Hills Ninja, right? I 
I feel like there's a handful of fights that are right in that range of like deserving this second spot under Valentina Shevchenko. And this is just one of them. It's not necessarily in a specific order. Wright trains under former UFC fighters Anthony Hardonk and Vladimir Matyushenko. Didn't think I'd hear those uh, names again. He is, um, he's literally on texting terms with John Jones, from what I understand. I guess he spent some time at that gym, uh, who apparently gave him a good pep talk before a short notice UFC debut. He uses lateral footwork to set up pot shots and kind of spinning techniques. Uh, has a pretty good tie clinch, but in his one loss on Contender Series, he was pressured by Anthony Hernandez into the cage before taking a clean shot and kind of acting as if he had no idea what to do as Hernandez just polished him off. His first eight opponents have a combined record of 1-38. and 38. So he is very new to fighting people who can fight back. Buckley started his career at 170 before a recent move up to 185. Took a short notice fight against Kevin Holland and got knocked out. He made good in his second UFC outing, though, as he knocked out Impa Kasanganai with the shot seen around the world as the replay of that spinning back kick went viral and is definitely a shoe-in for knockout of the year, I think it's safe to say. Kasanganai was considered a serious prospect and big favor going into that bout, and Buckley is a solid southpaw striker with power in his hands. He likes to counter kicks with big combos as he moves forward. He's got good kicks of his own and likes to throw leg kicks, side kicks, and head kicks. Mixes up pretty well. He'll go for takedowns from the clinch, which sets up his solid ground to pound. Look, uh, Wright likes to throw kicks, and Buckley has an automatic trigger every time an opponent throws a kick. He just goes forward with bombs immediately, right? Wright will have a notable height and reach advantage, but I doubt he'll be able to take advantage of it since he's not used to fighting through tough moments, and his one loss was because his opponent pushed forward with punches. That's exactly what Buckley likes to do. I've got Buckley by knockout here, uh, unless Wright has made gigantic improvements. Yeah, I'm in the, the same line of thinking. I uh, I like Buckley here. And maybe we'll see. If Buckley wins here, it's probably too soon, but he, he would match up. In an, I'd like to watch him in Strickland. I think it would be a really good time. I'm uh, open to that, but I prefer to see him fight James Krause first since there's a beef there. Oh, with Buckley? Yeah, there certainly is. I'm going to pick one that I think is going uh, going to surprise you a little bit. I'm going to pick Caitlin Kuchagin to defeat Cynthia Calvillo. I like it. I know that... I know that Chikagian uh, just got knocked out by Andrade with a body blow, but Covillo's like, she's not, you know, she, she's not that big, and you know she's sort of tough and 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 goes kind of at him, but she doesn't have she doesn't have Andrade power, and I think that Chikagian's is I think she's going to be able to defend Covillo's takedowns, which means that I think she's going to spend more of the fight at striking range. Where she's, I think she'll be able to out kickbox to like a fairly tepid decision. I think that she's going to neutralize Covio, and this is a bad style matchup uh, for Cynthia, the number six flyweight in the world. Yeah, you could very well be right. And now I'm like afraid to give you my breakdown because I'm pretty sure you're going to change your pick as soon as you hear it, like you always do. But here goes. Chukagian is known for throwing distance I'm strikes. I'm changing. I'm changing my pick to Chukagian. Are you? No, I'm Officially? Kidding. No, I'm, kidding. No, I'm <laughs> keeping my pick. I'm keeping my pick with with Shukagin. Um, Shukagin's known for throwing distance strikes that don't land, but she throws them with a verbal "haya" that makes the judges think they landed somehow. Uh, she's gotten more comfortable in the pocket. She's having less success. Uh, since she is being hit more after going four and one in her first five UFC fights, Caitlin is three and three in her last six after being finished by Valentina and Jessica Andrade. Right. So like it's not a lot to be ashamed of in those two fights, no. at least And her other loss was a close decision. She has a decent ground game, 
good lateral movement and high strike output despite her lack of precision. Like I think she lands somewhere around 30% of her strikes. Calvillo used to train a team alpha male and recently transitioned to AKA with uh, Cormier and the crew out there. She makes use of her wrestling background to decide where the fight goes as she made her way up the flyweight division for the first time after missing weight by five pounds against strawweight contender Marina Rodriguez. She took a clear-cut decision over former title challenger Jessica I in her flyweight debut. On top of her wrestling, she's a talented submission grappler, and her striking looked the best I, I've ever seen against I. She looked really sharp since joining AKA in that way. I'm edging towards Cabillo here because she's a solid wrestler, and Shukagian gave up nine takedowns in her last five fights. Shukagian has the skills and size advantage to circle on the outside and keep the fight in kicking range like I think you expect her to, but I'm not confident that she will stay consistent enough to walk away with the win here. They're competing in a smaller octagon, right? Like, that doesn't help her with the lateral footwork, and that favors the grappler more often than not. Even though I don't think Shukagian's five-inch uh, height and reach advantage will be enough here, the odds in this one are too skewed in favor of Cavillo, in my opinion. Uh, I think minus 260 is just absolutely crazy given these girls' resumes. So I am there with you in that way. Uh, it is, you know, a, a close one on paper by all means. My next picnic is going to be in the main event of the Wait, evening. Wait, so who's your Nikolai. pick? You're picking Calvillo there? I, I'm picking Calvillo, yes, but again, by okay. a much closer margin than the odds would suggest. So that's one that we disagree on. My first, uh, uh, my next pick, Nikolai, is in the main event between Davidson Figueredo and Alex Perez. I'm actually super psyched for this fight. Figueredo is 19-1, and 8-1 and one in the UFC, right? His wins include John Moraga, Alexander Pantoja, Tim Elliott, and he finished Joe Benavidez twice. His one loss is to Jose Formiga, who Alex Perez just finished in the first round in his last fight. Um, I think that Figueredo is something special. He likes to hunt his opponents similar to the way that Peter Yan likes to do. He has serious power for flyweight, but it helps that he's particularly a big man for the division. He's got improved takedown defense. Um, his striking defense has improved quite a bit as well since he has focused on head movement and footwork. He's got underrated Brazilian jiu-jitsu, especially his guillotine when an opponent goes for a takedown. It's not a good idea to go for it, but his is particularly good. Usually lands less, but wins anyway since he has that much of a power advantage over most of his opponents. Uh, I think he landed less strikes in his last in, in four UFC fights that he won uh, and at times by decision. So it like, shows you how much power he has. Both guys are absolutely huge for this division. They also have physical styles where they take advantage of their size and athleticism, right? Figueredo, however, is faster, specifically with his hands. He also hits harder. Both guys prefer to pressure with strikes into takedowns, but Figueredo does his best work standing, and Perez is best when suffocating his opponents from top position. Figueredo has had issues with good wrestlers in the past, and Alex is a solid wrestler. Their common opponent is Joseph Benavides, however, Perez got TKO twice by Menavidez in his one UFC loss. Basically, the referee stepped in and then and then kind of let the fight continue, and then Benavidez had to get him again. And Figueredo finished Benavidez twice in his last two fights. Which brings me to my next point. Perez was pressuring Benavidez effectively until the moment Joe landed two clean shots. Suddenly, Perez was no longer interested in pressuring. Right. Eventually, Benavidez TKO'd him with hammer fists on the ground after uh, Perez went for a takedown. When Benavidez hit Figueredo, Davison didn't even notice. Right. So there's on paper a big chin disparity here. Um, yep. On top of that, Davidson hits way harder than does Benavidez. 
for that reason, I'm favoring the champion to retain his title with a finish in this one. If you can't take Benavidez's shots, then you have no hope in taking Figueredo's. And maybe he had a bad weight cut. Maybe it was a bad day. Maybe he wasn't ready for that level of competition a couple of years ago. But I'm, I'm definitely going with the champion this one. Yeah, me too. I think Perez's only real chance is if Figueredo gets, has a really bad weight cut himself and gets depleted, which is possible based on his size. There was some rumbling that his his really flat performance against uh, Cornejo was due to the fact that he had a, a poor weight cut. Oh. Um, but I, I get the sense that after these Benavides fights that he probably has it down pat uh, by now, and that's bad news for Alex Perez because when uh, Davis and Figueredo hits 125ers, they go flying. Um, and like you said, if like if Benavidez's shots hurt you, Figueredo, you know, if we could say, <laughs> I was going to try to do a little crow cop, uh, <laughs> a cop to the left leg cemetery, but right, right, I'm not right. sure I could pull it off at the hour that we're recording. But yeah, I think president for a world of hurt, and I kind of regret that I didn't pick this uh, over the previous fight. But what are you going to do? Um, all right, so next, I'm looking at all these interesting fights, but none of them, I don't think, are particularly uh, easy picks. I'm Nick, just go... real quick, before we continue, I want to point out one thing that I just now noticed about these two fighters. Neither, actually, no, uh, basically neither of them have a whole lot of five-round experience. Perez has gone five rounds one time in his career, and that was something what year was that 2015 it was five years ago so it'll be interesting to see this fight if it actually goes into deep waters uh what's your next pick buddy uh i'm gonna pick um antonina shevchenko over Ariane lipsky the queen of violence who i do think is probably the most attractive female fighter on the ufc roster how is that even related are you gonna say the same thing about alan jaban later nick what does that have to do with anything i gotta i gotta think about that i don't know I don't know if I'm calling you out. True, if I believe it to be true for him or not. I've got to give it some thought. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. So, you know, it's Brian, it's Brian Barberino. Um, That's your guy. So, Fair enough. <laughs> no. Um, so, yeah, I think, Shev, I think Shevchenko's like, I think her size, I think that her kickboxing uh, technique, I think this is a pretty good matchup for her. I know that Lipsy got a submission in her, in her last bout, but she's still primarily a, uh, she's still primarily a striker, and I get—I just believe that Shevchenko is a is a bigger, uh, more powerful one, and that her her strikes are going to have more oomph and put her kind of in the driver's seat. I think she'll take control of the octagon and pick apart Lipsky over three rounds, get a decision. I think Lipsky will shoot um, when she realizes she's not winning on the feet, um, but I don't suspect that she, even if she gets a takedown. Um, I don't think she'll be able to keep Shevchenko there. She's not Roxy Mataferi. Yeah, I do hear that. Um, Lipsky is obviously like, I think she's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, super aggressive standing. And more importantly, I think this is something that a lot of folks don't recognize about her. She's got serious power on her hands. Like she has three knockdowns in her last two fights. In the women's 115 pound division, that is kind of unheard of. Um, she... She's solid if she gets to be the hammer, but not nearly as reliable if she has to be the nail. And, you know, her troubles were against kind of pressure fighters. And here's the thing. She doesn't have great wrestling, but she ends up on top because she turns girls over or because she knocks them down. 
Shevchenko is obviously a technical patient distance striker with a good tie clinch. Uh, obviously, she is sisters with Valentina Shevchenko, but has a fraction of her talent and skill. Takedown defense is lacking, lacking and so is her ability to get up from bottom. But what she lacks in her ground game, she makes up for with her dancing skills, Nick. This is a tough one for me to pick. Uh, Wait, I just want to correct you, by the way. She's, yep. I believe that she's a black belt in Muay Thai, but she's a purple belt in Jiu-Jitsu. Not a black belt. Lipsky. Oh wow, good to know, Nikolai. Because she she has she's like really crafty with her knee bar, and she's Brazilian, so I just kind of made that assumption. I appreciate you correcting me. Uh, this is a tough one for me to pick. Like I said, Shevchenko sucks off her back. Lipsky is solid from top position, but Lipsky's wrestling sucks, and she's not likely to knock down Shevchenko. Shevchenko doesn't like to be pressured, and Lipsky pressures effectively, and that could be kind of a factor here. But Lipsky is not nearly as technical standing, even though she has way more power, in my opinion. I'm going to lean slightly toward Lipsky here since she pressures well and packs more power, but a decision win for Antonina would not shock me at all. This fight depends entirely on Lipsky's ability to get in top position or pressure well standing, and I have concerns about Antonina's clinch game, but I'm sticking with uh, Lipsky. By the way, one of the great things about Valentina having a fight on the same night uh, is that we are less likely to hear her in Antonina's corner, which means we don't have to hear the more successful sister scream, hey, every time a strike that Antonina throws. Like, if Antonina throws 100 strikes in her fight and lands only 30, we somehow hear Valentina say, hey, 130 times. It's absolutely irritating, and it's the reason I hope Antonina washes out of the UFC with the loss here. Hater. All right. Uh, <laughs> My next pick, Nick. Well, we've got two, dis- two disagreements. This is, uh, yep. this is very interesting. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, my next pick, and by the way, these uh, this fight was absolutely like at the bottom of my list because I'm, you know, I really had a hard time picking it. I think it really all depends on whether uh, Lipsky can get top position. And look, my initial thought was that Shevchenko would win, so I- I'm not far off with you there. My next pick is going to be in the. Nicholas Dalby, Daniel Rodriguez matchup. Uh, Dalby is 5-1 and one in his last six fights, and after alcoholism drove him out of the UFC, he returned with a solid showing against Alex Oliveira before getting clocked and submitted by Jesse Runson in the first few moments of their bout a couple of months ago. He's overall well-rounded. Who, by the way, just ate a 20-month suspension today. What was that he for? Popped. I didn't know that. He, uh, he popped for, uh, for Peds. Oh, man, I wonder if that fight can get overturned now, but I assume he didn't get popped in competition. I don't, I don't think it was in competition. That's very interesting, Nick, because that, that adds to the dynamic a little bit, right? But he, Well, he says that it was a tainted, a tainted supplement, and he paid his own money out of pocket to get his supplements tested, but it came okay. back negative for what he did. So, he, I mean, Ronson certainly uh, feels like he just took something and it, it you know, that it wasn't intentional, but... Who knows? I think if you pop for performance enhancing drugs and you don't say that it was a tainted supplement, then you're not trying. Isn't that like the only way to go? Like how, what a fool you'd be to just admit it. Right. Like, fuck that. Um, so yeah, look, I mean, uh, yeah. So Dolby is like overall well-rounded. He's pretty good. He's got a really good Southpaw kickboxing style, uh, plenty of heart and a good gas tank, but his chin is vulnerable early in a fight. As we saw in that last bout against Ronson, who apparently was on the juice, Rodriguez is 3-0 in the UFC, tall for welterweight at 6-1. He's 33 years old, but a promising prospect. 13-1 uh, and one is his record, right? With his only loss coming by split decision. He beat Tim Means and Gabe Green, who are both very talented in my opinion. Kind of a south, uh, sharp southpaw jab, hard left hand. 
His UFC debut came on short notice against Tim Means, and he submitted him after hurting him with a left cross. So there's a submission game there as well. At least it was kind of a, a, a standing guillotine. Generally jabs to prompt the opponent to come in, which is when he counters with a big boxing combo. Rodriguez won his UFC debut by rocking Tim Means and then submitting him, like I said, right? Dalby was rocked and submitted in his last fight. I have to favor Rodriguez's boxing advantage and power against the guy who doesn't have a great chin. Dalby has the skill to win this fight, but I'm not sure he has the durability, especially coming off of a fight in which he got buzzed pretty badly. Um, also, Rodriguez has insanely high strike output as he lands like, I think, eight and a half, nine strikes per minute and throws over 90 strikes per uh, round on average. So uh, I think his output, if not his power, will win the day here. Um, yep, I've got, I'm with Rodriguez. I've got Rodriguez in this fight also, although it's, you know, I, I want to root for Dalby. Um, but since it's, not my, since it's not my pick, I will be rooting for Dalby. Um, <laughs> I'm going to, speaking of Tim Means, I'm going to pick Tim Means to beat uh, Mike Perry. I picked against Tim Means in his last fight against um, uh, Loriano Staropoli, and I ended up eating my words. Means looked really, really good. I thought he was kind of um, kind of washed up. I thought it was like a million bucks. It was only three months ago. And Perry, you know, Perry's an interesting character. He's he's not an untalented fighter. I mean, he's kind of grown on, you know, he's kind of grown on me. Um, certainly, you know, taking his lumps. But, like, I guess apparently he won his, wow, he won a submission bout against uh, Ally Aquinta in February. That seems surprising to me. But, I guess, and he had, he had you know, pretty rough losses uh, split decision loss to Vincente Luque, where he took a lot of damage, and a bad loss to Jeff uh, Joff Neal um, before beating Mickey Gall, who lost him out, which we which we all expected. Uh, it probably wasn't as you know. I was I think we all thought he was going to finish Mickey Gall, which he was which he was unable to do. Um, I think that Tim Means, I mean Means may get caught in the second half of the second round or something. Uh, I could see him getting popped on the temple. And, and going down, maybe that's going to happen. But my instinct here is that Perry still doesn't I believe he still doesn't have a real corner. Um, he's just kind of like out there doing his thing. Diego Sanchez, world of psychology. And even though we're talking about a guy who's got wins over Cowboy Oliveira, Paul Felder, um, and I mean those are really his only his only super notable wins. I guess him Gun Lim. Um, back when that meant something, but I think I think Means outcrafts him here. I think Means win. I think Means probably wins a decision by frustrating, uh, by frustrating Perry. Probably uh, hitting that that heavily damaged nose um, with some, with some hard straight shots, and uh, you know, and outlasts him. Yeah, I am there with you on the pick. To Means is actually an underdog, and I think that's mostly because he took this fight on 19 days notice. Perry is an absolute wild man. By the way, I think you make a good point about Perry and Diego Sanchez. I think like what Perry could use is a sensei of like a McDojo who practices a mythical martial art that doesn't actually exist. I think maybe probably that's pretty, what would set I, I Perry I think there's straight. a good chance he already has that. He's just not as public as <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, although he's public about goddamn everything. Perry is a wild man. He joined uh, American Top Team Orlando recently, which I would imagine is not an elite camp. His ex-wife says that he abused her. That's been like a piece of news that's come up lately. There's footage of him hitting an old man in a fit of rage at a like a bar. The man is troubled, but he's entertaining. 
He is seven and six in the UFC. He likes to kind of lunge forward with hooks, but his counter game has come along some over the over the last couple of years. And his offensive wrestling is actually pretty good. He's coming off a win over a lower lower level fighter and Mickey Gall after losing two in a row to a pair of elite contenders in Joff Neal and Vicente Luque. Tim Means is 14 and 9 in the UFC, so he's kind of largely a gatekeeper, but certainly a more successful record than Mike Perry, 7 and 6. He's a tall southpaw, 29 and 12 overall. Uh, four fight winning streak at one point, but he's been alternating wins and losses lately. He's got solid boxing with a sharp left cross. He likes to pressure leading with his jab, and he will go for takedowns in a close fight. Um, I'm concerned about Means taking the fight on short notice, but he should be faster with sharper hands. Means defense isn't great early, but he slips and rolls with punches like a pro in rounds two and three. Means also lands more and gets hit less on average than Mike Perry. And that's on top of his four inch height and reach advantage. And the last three and a half years, Means has only been taken down once. So I don't think Perry's offensive wrestling should be enough of an issue unless Means is tired. Um, always a chance Perry clubs him with a looping shot to the head or liver, but I'm going with the uh, underdog as well here, Nikolai, in agreement with you. My next pick is going to be against a couple of UFC newcomers in the first fight of the night. I am going to take, and maybe, I don't know, maybe this is a mistake, but I'm going to take um, Luis Kashi to beat Sasha Polotnikov. That's how you say it, Nikolai. That's how you say it proper. Polotnikov. Polotnikov. <laughs> Koshi is an aggressive 24-year-old fighter who trains with Team Alpha Male. And like most Team Alpha Male prospects, he has a wrestling background, of course. He has solid pressure striking led by leg kicks, packs some serious power in his hands, and he has some serious killer instinct when he hurts his opponents. He won his Contender Series debut by knockout against a more experienced opponent who has never been knocked out before. Sasha is Hong Kong's first representative in the UFC, despite his name suggesting that he's a Ruski. Uh, he is big on footwork and fancy kicks from the footage that I was able to find from a little while ago, to be fair. Haven't been able to see any recent footage. I'm going with the favorite in Kasha here, but it's hard to be sure that his conditioning or heart are kind of in place since his total fight time, Nick, and his whole career is less than 14 minutes. He tends to blast guys early, and Sasha has only lost by KO. So this seems like a kind of a showcase of a matchup for Kashi. But the little tape I was able to find on Sasha shows a craftier game than Kashi has. So if he can get through that early storm, this could get interesting. Yeah, I agree. I'm with you. I had Kashi uh, for the pick. But now, Stan, it's time to steal all your thunder and make uh, the the balls out pick of the night in the battle of the Brandons. <laughs> Brandon Royville and Brandon Moreno. Oh yeah. It's going to be uh, a pot fight. I mean, I'm not sure. I know it's been a long year. I've forgotten how many, there's been so many fights. I'm sure I've said this about other fights. I can't remember another fight. Um, I was as excited about as this one. It's, uh, you know, it's under yep. car. Um, and I'm I'm pretty fired up, but I think as good as Moreno is, I think that Royval's killer instinct, uh, with his jujitsu game, and he's got some surprising strikes. I just think this kid is on such a trajectory, um, and has all this momentum. And Moreno hasn't done a whole heck of a lot since his last win against uh against uh, Jushir Formaiti, right? Who's no longer in the UFC. Um, yep. So I I just think this is Royval's I think this is Royval's year, and I think that we're gonna get I think we're gonna get a choke. 
I think we're gonna. I think some. I think in one of those scrambles, he's gonna catch an RNC, and uh, or a guillotine, um, and, and he's gonna tap uh, the, the baby assassin or assassin baby or whatever the fuck his nickname is. So I'm going. Yeah. Both, both of these guys, anything can happen. I think a lot of people are gonna think it's 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 Roybal's like. Okay, you're still a prospect. Back to Earth fight. I don't think so. I think he's gonna surprise us. Yeah, I think you might be right, um, but I am disagreeing with the pick officially. I'm, I'm, I ended up going with Brandon Moreno. Um, he started his career on tough, actually, as mostly kind of a grappler. He didn't really have much striking back then. He always had effective Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but since his recent return to the UFC, he has shown really sharp boxing that is supported by a really consistent jab, which is what he used to pick up upset wins over top eight contenders, Kaikar France and Jose Formiga, like you said, after a controversial draw against Askar Askarov, which, at least in my opinion, should have gone uh, Brandon Moreno's way. He's been undefeated for two and a half years now which is great. Rival made his UFC debut on short notice against former title challenger Tim Elliott, and after a rough first round, he was able to secure a very nice triangle choke on the exhausted veteran. In his sophomore octagon appearance, he overwhelmed Kai Kara France with pressure until a takedown attempt by France opened up the opportunity for a guillotine finish for Rival. Um, he's a high-pressure, opportunistic finisher, right? He's usually the taller man at 125 pounds, but he tends to crash the pocket giving his opponents the opportunity to crack his often high chin. But even if he gets cracked, he will hit you three or four times more for it. His takedown defense is not very good, but that's not usually a big issue since he is very comfortable on the ground. His last four wins coming by submission. Also, he can be rocked, but he has the wherewithal to counter his opponent's attempt to finish with something like a spinning back elbow, which he has done on more than one occasion. And he found success with that in his fight against Kaikar France. This is a great fight on paper, likely fight of the night if if it's not going to be the main event. I'm going to edge very slightly with Moreno, who should be able to get top position if things get hairy on the feet. Unlike Roy Val's last few opponents, Moreno is a solid, confident grappler himself who is not likely to get caught in a transition. But Roy Val's output and pressure could prove to be too much for the more technical Moreno. If Moreno is not able to secure top position, I, I could see Brandon Roy Val having some success here. My next picnic, and we've got three left, and this is where things are getting a lot closer on paper. I'm going to pick Kyle Dawkins to beat Dustin Skolfsson. Yeah, whatever, whatever you just said. Damn it, Dawkins is. I wanted to pick. Dawkins is nine and one, talented boxer and grappler. Uh, open uh, also happens to have solid wrestling that he showed in his UFC debut. He made it against Brandon Allen and made it really close back and forth kind of war of attrition. Um, and it was a lot of fun to watch his brothers actually tearing it up in the UFC heavyweight division two and at the moment. Uh, Dustin Skolf is 13 and one pretty technical switch stance fighter likes to keep a long range with uh, kind of hands high as he throws leg kicks, but his boxing needs work, but he is confident in it and has a good kind of lean hand and he has some power. He's an educated ground game and even boasts a twister finish on his resume. Nick, I favor Dukas in this one. I think Dustin is getting kind of a tough UFC debut opponent, but then again, so did Dukas, you know, in his UFC debut. So I guess it's a little bit of karma. Dustin is too hittable to do well against a good striker in Dawkins, I think, and he should be susceptible to his takedowns, even though, again, Dustin himself is a good fighter. Uh, I will say, though, Dustin is a German fighter who actually was born in the States, moved to Germany, and like did all his 
MMA training there. Somebody should tell that guy that like we've got better training partners and better coaches here in the states. I'm ju- I'm just throwing it out there. But he's thirteen and one, so not a lot to complain about, I guess. It's unfair to Dennis Seaver. <laughs> so yeah, I got the same pick, and I I'm gonna, I was I wanted to root for Dawkins, so and now I can't because his last fight against Brendan Allen was so uh, so exciting. I'm gonna pick. Um, a little-known, underrated fighter, uh, Mauricio Shogunhua, um, to defeat the Jew Bear Paul Craig. This is a, they're, run, they're running this back from what was a split draw from a fight that most people watching thought that Shogun deserved. It was on the Blahovich yakare card uh, a little over, uh, almost actually exactly a year ago. Is it a year ago, two days ago? Wow, so 367 really? days ago. Uh, these guys threw down, and they're going to run it back. Uh, in between then, Shogun has a win, a split decision win in a really entertaining fight over Nog. And um, Paul Craig had, over the summer, a submission against a guy that nobody likes to watch fight, Gazimurad Atigulov. Um, how was that? That was not bad, right? Yeah, it wasn't bad. Not bad for me? Not G- so bad. Gazimurad Atigulov. Here's what I frankly believe here. Shogun's trained hard, is trained hard for this fight. Like, you know, before that he beat Tyson Pedro. Yes, he lost to Anthony Smith, who, you know, was on his roll and looked huge and, and could do some damage. But you look, at, you look at fighters that Shogun's lost to over the last 13 years, and he does not lose to Paul Craig, and I don't think he starts now. I think that Shogun's taking this fight really seriously, and he doesn't want a loss to this guy on his record. Um, I think he's going to come in. I thought he looked pretty good against Nog. Um, I thought Nog could have won, could have gotten that decision. Nog, you know, certainly landed, but Shogun had his had his moments, no doubt. Um, and I just think we're I just think we're gonna see like a ready, you know, a ready to go uh, Shogun, and that he'll be able to avoid any you know shots from the not terrific striker uh, this time around. And I don't I don't see Shogun. Um, I guess, I mean, he did get submitted. I think the last time uh, Shogun was submitted was a little over seven years ago to Chael Sonnen, and you could see him. I still remember his face after that happened. He couldn't believe he got caught like that. Um, he's been submitted twice, you know, in the last 13 years to Forrest Griffin uh, and, and to Chael. But I just don't I don't think Paul Craig um, is going to finish him. I think Shogun's going to, um, I think he's going to show up and be pissed off and land some hard shots. I certainly hope you're right, Nikolai. Like you said, their first fight was a war with Craig surprising everyone by drilling Shogun with a couple of 15-punch combos in that first round. Shogun is more hittable than he used to be, so it earned Paul Craig like a very clear-cut round one. Some thought it was a 10-8. In rounds two and three, Shogun was able to floor Craig and score from top position, able to get those takedowns. This could go either way, but I'll lean towards Shogun, who has had to survive some rough moments on the feet before getting top position several times in his last couple of years. Like, that's really the only way he's been winning fights lately. Craig could starch him, but there seems to be like a Glover to share quality about Shogun lately where he can be hurt, but it's difficult to actually finish him, especially with Paul Craig not being a natural power puncher and not having the gas tank and IQ to keep up the kind of pace that would allow him to win a decision. Like, part of the reason he won that first round is because he just gave it everything he had. And it's the same reason he lost rounds two and three, right? So if he can't finish Shogun early, can he even necessarily like win rounds against him if he doesn't unload his entire gas tank? I'm not so sure. But again, like Paul Craig is, you know, shown that he's a better striker than Shogun. A lot of people have lately. 
and Shogun's had better success against better strikers than Paul Craig. So you never know. Paul Craig also from top position could do some things against Shogun. So uh, he has a good double leg. So I see some danger in this one. This was literally last on my list, but there's a reason it's your last pick, of course. My last pick, Nick, and I, I actually have a, some confidence in this, even though I realize there's some risk, this being the kind of final uh, fight to pick. I'm, I'm very comfortable with, uh, I definitely prefer this one over the one that you just picked. In the Alan Jaban versus Jaron Gooden matchup, Nick, uh, Jaban is a solid striker, even though he's not fast. He's good everywhere else, if not great, between his wrestling defense and grappling. He is 37 years old, so probably not a very high ceiling, but he's good for entertaining scraps and also happens to be a really nice guy. Also, Nick, I'm going to mention this about him because you made a very sexist remark earlier about Ariane Lipsky. Uh, Alan Jaban's a very handsome man. He's just a beautiful, beautiful human. Uh, one of the more handsome men in the UFC. Yeah, he's a, he's, a, he's a model. I would... He's That's more, right. yeah, he's I would certainly model. give him the, the, U, the UFC, like, handsome guy award over, like, sh, you know, shitbird, smug dick, Luke Rockhold. Oh, there's also Antonio Arroyo, who I think is a beautiful, uh, tall, 185-pound man. That seems to be, like, the, the, the right range for, like, the perfect human physically. Uh, he's going into this fight after a 19-month layoff following a questionable decision loss to Dwight Grant. Gooden is athletic. He's strong, but he's not super technical. He throws one strike at a time, mostly his right hand. He likes to pressure forward, but doesn't necessarily have the striking defense or durability to pull it off against quality opposition. Gooden is athletic, but he has a long way to go with his technique. And his best chance, I think, is to secure a top position and score points from there. Jaban's chin isn't great at this age, so I guess Gooden also has a puncher's chance. But given Gooden's defense's lapses, I like Jaban to sprawl and brawl his way to a knockout or a fairly comfortable decision win here. And that'll do it for our picks, Nikolai. What do you think about this matchup? So you've got Joe, so you got Joe Ben versus. I do. Do you as well, Nick? I was torn, but I think like yeah. I mean, he's towards the end of his run. He's working the commentary desk. Where he did a nice job last week. Um, I think I wouldn't be surprised if Gooden if Gooden hurt him, but I think it's likely that Joe Ben wins the decision. I'm into it, Nikolai. I am super super confident that I have a good chance of winning this event and I'll tell you why. You don't like my you don't like my picks? Okay, it's not why? that I don't like your picks. It's that like the way that I prioritize my picks worked out like this. I ended up getting 6 of my top 8 picks. The only kind of uh, fights that you took in my top eight list was the shukagin Calvillo matchup, which I disagreed with, and of course, Valentina Shevchenko. You ended up taking my last four picks, which I am pretty glad about. Doesn't necessarily mean that I'll win, of course, but I am very... No, you've, lo you've lost ones where you got most of your... Uh... I think you're right. In fact, there, there was one where you were, you were like one in five where you got most of your top picks. But listen, I'm picking more underdogs than usual. There's, you know, there were a lot of close fights on here. I just, there's a few fights I have a feeling about. But listen, I could be wrong on Royval, Chukagian, and the and um, the younger Shevchenko. Like no doubt, I could eat those words. And, and Shogun, I could have it. And me, like I could have an awful night. I could have an over. How many picks do we each have? Uh, we have six apiece. I mean, I could have an over six night. It's possible. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't think that's. I don't well, think that's I know. I'm not, I mean, I'm, I could have a one in five night. Shevchenko's not going to lose to Maya, but. Uh, but we'll see. I could have a really bad night, or this could be the night where my instincts and intuition uh, bring me to 16, 4, and 6, and you really uh, can start to worry. Nick, I don't think you win events against me via instincts and intuition. You win these events against me because the cards get ravaged and like every one of my picks disappears or something. 
Uh, but that's yeah. not true. That's unfair and not true and not and that does not give enough respect to my picking ability. One hundred percent accurate, Nikolai. I'm quickly going to go over our picks, Nikolai. Your first pick was Valentino. Wait, are you saying what I said was was 100% accurate or what you said was 100% accurate? No, I was talking about what I said, obviously. Um, your first oh, pick was... <laughs> your first pick was Valentina Shevchenko. Second, you took Caitlin Chukagian. Your third pick was Antonina Shevchenko. Fourth, Tim Means. Fifth, you took... Brandon Royval, another upset, which I which I like, Nick. I like that pick a lot, even though I disagree with it. And your final pick was Mauricio Shogun, who would have beat Paul Gregg. Yeah, Nick, you have three or four underdog picks here. I think I have three in total, uh, but I, I like it. That's what I'm talking about. My first pick was Joaquin Buckley, second, Davidson Figueredo, third, Daniel Rodriguez, fourth, Luis Cushy, uh, fifth, I had... Kyle Dacus and my sixth and final pick was Alan Jauban. Uh, like I said, I'm confident in this one, Nick. I'm looking forward to showing off about my win. And Nikolai, if we can make this my 15 to your, uh, I'm sorry, my 17 event wins, my 17 picks to your 13, I feel like it's going to be trouble. a real uphill battle. Yes, yeah, so you're going to need this one, Mofo, if you're going to take this season. But I will give you serious credit, Nick. I was dominating this season early, and you really have come back. You've, you've fought your way through adversity. You've picked up a couple of split decision wins that should not have gone your way, and I'm proud of you, buddy. Good work. Um, all right. Did you pick up yeah. on, like, on like how condescending I, I was trying to be? Yeah, I was, and I'm just like – I just think you're. I kind of think you're. You're a bad person. Do you really think I? Because I used to be like the the baby face of this podcast. I feel like. I don't know. I just feel bad that your daughter has such a heel for a father. Oh man. <laughs> Nick. That's actually one area, Nick, in which I would compete with anybody in the entire planet, and I could be delusional, but I happen to think I'm Being a pretty damn good father. Of course you are. She's only a I year mean, old, so it's early. I have a lot of fucking up to do. But I think my wife and I are doing a pretty damn good job so far. I'm sure you guys are. I mean, my daughter my <laughs> my daughter was asking about the difference between a handsaw and a chainsaw yesterday. And, and then was like, but a chainsaw is what you use to cut heads off, right? And I was like, <laughs> Nick, that is, that is very funny. Your daughter is adorable. That's the kind of thing really that happens bright. all the time. Uh, you're, like I said, your daughter's adorable and bright, and uh, I have no problem with her discussing some of the real issues that concern everyday. Although Americans. she watches fights, she watched. Uh, she, really? she watched all of RDA. She watched all of RDA Felder. What did she think of that one? Uh, she yeah, she liked it. She was rooting for Felder, but uh, um, but she she liked it. Okay, the the fight that she what was the one? Oh, she watched Frankie versus Munoz. She liked that a lot. Cool. I, I love that she watched, uh, especially these five-round fights. Nick, that takes some serious attention yeah. span. Yeah, well, it's right around her bedtime. The main event's going to be her bedtime, so we watched them on the phone. That makes sense. Yeah, it was an yeah. early night. Uh, my daughter, Nick, when I have had fights on so far, and my daughter, by the way, has seen almost no TV in her entire life. Like, she just, like, doesn't really care. She, like, pays no attention. She looks at it for, like, two or three seconds and then just turns away and minds her own business and, like, gets busy with some toy or some puzzle or something. She has no interest in violence, apparently. Eh, it's early. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point, uh, Nikolai. Another one in the books, buddy. I look forward to, uh, I look forward to a victory over you, buddy. I, I don't like this. This it's getting too close for my brothers. I would like for me to be several events ahead of you. Should we really uh, quickly take a look at next week's schedule and see what we have coming up there? Let's take a quick look. Sorry, I'm running out of gas, listeners. It's late. Uh, it's late for us. 
But I think next week, I mean, there really has been a card every, like every week oh, except Joker. for. Yeah. Holy cow, what a fight. Oh, I like it, Nikolai. Look at this. Curtis Blades versus Derek Lewis in the main event. I am very much oh into that. Oh, my God. And then Moikano versus Fiziev. Fantastic, Nikolai. Anthony Smith, Devin Clark. I mean, you know, two, two mid-level guys, I guess, facing each other. Uh, Miguel Baeza is coming back against Takashi Sato. Both guys are undefeated in the UFC, and I think uh, both are coming off some impressive knockout wins. Ashley Evan Smith versus a lady named Norma Dermont Dumont, depending on where she's from, I suppose. Uh, we have Parker Porter's coming back. Who do we have? Ooh, Rachel Rachel, Rachel Ostovich. Ostovich is pr- oh, they, they like put a- they they put like two of the worst female fighters on the roster who are like you know generally yeah. like decent looking, and they were just like let's have these girls fight it out. Um, Sean Woodson's coming back against Jonathan Pierce, which I find to be somewhat interesting. And uh, I think Wild Spike Carlisle back on the card. Oh yeah, I like I like Spike Carlisle a lot. The dude is an absolute nutcase, and he's fighting a guy named Bill Algeo, who I'm very unfamiliar with. Let's see, uh, thirteen and five overall. Bill Algeo is, and he is. Oh, he's that guy that had that really close competitive loss to Ricardo Lamas uh, a few months ago. Nick, that is actually a very interesting matchup. That's something to look forward to. Yeah, I would say this card is definitely top heavy. Uh, Miguel Baeza, Anthony Smith, Moicano, Curtis Blades. I don't. What the heck is Anthony Smith fighting again for? He got obliterated by Teixeira this calendar year, right? And then he had that fight against Rakic where he, you know, which was not fun. He didn't take as much damage, but like it wasn't like, dude, just take the rest of the year off. Do the announcing, uh, you know, commentary gig, like recover. Yeah, I'm, I'm there with you. At this point, Anthony Smith is 1-3 in his last four fights, and that one win was over, like, a very past the will to fight Alexander Gustafson. Um, he's not been looking good, man. I I mean, look, it's Devin Clark, so, right? It's not it's not a super, super high-level prospect and not arguably number one contender Glover Teixeira. That helps. But, yeah, I mean, look, both of these guys are mid-level fighters who used to fight at middleweight and are now at light heavyweight, so I guess it's a fair matchup in that way. Yeah, it's. I mean, interesting card. Wait, Norma du Norman Dumont is Brazilian. That's the least Brazilian name I've ever heard. Oh, Norma Dumont Viana. You ever hear of a uh, Wellington Thurman or a Johnny Walker Nikolai? Well, Johnny Walker's not his real name. That's true. Uh, it's well, it's the beginning of his name. He's got. I can't remember his last name. You know, Hanato Makano. Is it is it Jarzinho something or other? Like, what what is the beginning I, of his name? That's Johnny okay. like. I, no, the Johnny part I think is real. I see. Got uh, it. Got it. Got it. I mean, Fiziev Moicano. That's that's some must. That's that the Blades Lewis and and those those top two fights are must watch, must see TV bouts. I agree. I'm particularly interested in Takashi Sato versus Miguel Baeza, given uh just given like the the trajectories of these two guys. Baeza coming off a big knockout win over Matt Brown. I'm looking forward to watching some tape. And figuring out who has the likelihood in that one, I, w- I would figure that should be close in the odds. By the way, his given name is Walker Johnny De Souza. Wait, are you serious? That's yeah. basically his name is Johnny Walker. That's hysterical. Walker, no, Walker is his first name. Walker Johnny De Souza. Right, but still, like these yeah. are like Johnny Walker's technically his name. Like I'm, I'm shocked. Yeah, those are both. Those are both in his name. Yeah, it's like if I went, if I, I'm Nicholas John. It was like if I went by John Nicholas. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. It's it's funny because, like, again, my favorite one, Nick, my favorite Brazilian name that is clearly not Brazilian is Wellington Thurman, sir. Yep, he's still waking up from that last KO. Hey, be nice to Wellington. He's my guy. God damn it. I know. It. I love it when your guys get smashed. Always shitting on my guys. 
So who do you think is who do you think is better looking? Serious talk now, not kidding around at all. You ready for this? Ariane Lipsky or Alan Jaban? I well, what do you mean? Do you mean like like for modeling work, like like photogenic and, and bone structure? No, who is just the better looking human being? Um, I think Alan Jovan probably because Ariane Lipsky is more like is more sort of cute than like model stunning. Uh, yeah, I mean this one picture of Ariane Lipsky on Topology she actually looks pretty model stunning in this one image. But I agree, Alan Jovan is just a beautiful, beautiful man inside and out. But Ariane, I don't well, Lips, Lipsky is certainly the queen of violence of my heart well she also her she has a, a smile very similar to Mackenzie Dern so I mean they're both pretty you know pretty uh, attractive but you know effort effervescent personalities you and I do not agree on Mackenzie Dern's level of attractiveness but we definitely agree on Arian Lipsky's I think Mackenzie yeah. Dern is uh, maybe it's just on video and in pictures to be fair I just do not find her to be attractive at all and I think Arian Lipsky is a very pretty girl and I say that respectfully because I also think that Alan Jaban is a very pretty man. I know you do. That's why you got a poster. All right. Another one in the books, Nikolai. Have a great weekend, bud. Welcome back to the podcast. Quickly going to get into last week's bet. We had a profit of $54, and that means we have profits in 11 of the last 14 UFC events. I'm very happy about that. And that brings our bankroll to $1,056, and we started at $300 about two and a half months ago. My hedges worked out once again. I had a parlay of Al-Hassan and Marquez, and obviously the Marquez fight ended up getting canceled, so that $100 bet became straight on Al-Hassan. I hedged it with a bet on Williams inside the distance, and that worked out for me. I also had a hedge on the Kay Hansen and Al-Hassan parlay with a bet on McKenna, who got that, you know, maybe not-so-deserved decision over Hansen, so that ended up basically evening out as well. And then I had a parlay on RDA and Morono. That one came through with $70 profit. Morono and Murata, $50 profit on that parlay as well. And then I lost 15 bucks on a throwaway bet on Roki Martinez and Brendan Allen. Both of those guys did not work out. And, you know, my confidence level in both of them was about 15 bucks worth. Although maybe I was a little more confident in Allen than that. But that worked out. I didn't put a whole lot of risk on that bet. This week, we've got several parlays. And as usual, I'm going to hedge my bets First, I recommend a parlay on Daniel Rodriguez and Davidson Figueredo. $100 to win 80 on those two combined. And my hedge bet for that one is going to be on a Dalby decision. I think that Dalby's a really skilled guy. And if he doesn't get caught by a bomb from Rodriguez, he has a shot at kind of outworking Rodriguez, potentially, even though Rodriguez does have a very high strikeout. But So I'm going to put a little bit of money on Dalby by decision at plus 550. I think those odds are nuts. 12 bucks to win 82. So... If Figueredo and Rodriguez do win, I'm going to have a profit of about $60. And if Dalby ends up beating Rodriguez, then I will only have a loss of about 18 bucks. So I'm kind of putting myself in a situation where the odds of a loss are lower. Means and Moreno plus 257 combined, $31 to win 80 on those two. I'm going to hedge that one with a bet on Roy Val plus 162, $30 to win 49. So basically, if Means and Moreno do both come through, I'm going to have a profit of $50 between these two bets. And if Roy Val upsets Moreno, then I'm going to end up still with a profit of about $20. 
uh, putting myself in a win-win situation. I think my worst case is if Moreno wins and Means loses. That would hurt. Next, a parlay on Cynthia Calvillo and again Daniel Rodriguez. $61 to win 50 on those two. I'm going to hedge that one. There's a chance, certainly a chance, that Chukagian can win this fight by decision by staying on the outside, circling away from Calvillo's takedowns and shorter reach. At plus 305 and Chukagian by decision, I think $16 is worth the risk to win 49 bucks. And then I have a bit of a hedge on the Strutzfuss and Dawkins fight. Uh, I think Strutzfuss is a really skilled guy, a plus 265. I like the odds here. I, I just feel like this should be a pickup, man. He's a huge underdog. So $38 to win 101 on Strofus. And Dawkins is a skilled guy, right? The guy could win a decision here. I don't think his likelihood of getting a submission is high. But if Dawkins does win by decision, um, just in case, I'm putting down $21 on that to win 38 So basically, if Dawkins wins by decision, I even out between these two. If Strofus does win some way or form, then I ended up profiting about $80. And then I have a couple of throwaway bets. It's a total of about $50 on these three bets, right? And there are a few parlays. Means, Shevchenko, and Koshi, $25 to win 51 on those three. Not a whole lot of risk, and I feel like all of their odds are fairly decent of picking up victories. Also, a parlay on Means, Lipsky, and Jaban, $13 to win 104 on these three. I like Jaban and Means' chances, especially given the close odds. And Lipsky might be a bit of a risk, and that's why I'm hedging this one as well. Another $13 bet on Means, Shevchenko, and Xiaoban. And, and uh, by Shevchenko, I mean uh, Antonina, not Valentina. Antonina, uh, who was a slight favorite. $13 to win 70 So whether Lipsky or Shevchenko win, uh, I should have a profit as long as Means and Xiaoban both come through. Uh, so again, 13 bucks on Means, Lipsky, and Xiaoban to win 104 And also 13 bucks on Means, Shevchenko, and Xiaoban to win 70 That will do it for the betting guide this week, folks. Nick and I already touched on what is happening next week, but I do want to quickly ask you guys once again, please do spread the word about the podcast. If you like what we do, we put a lot of time into this so that you guys don't have to research. 